Hi everyone, welcome to the Triple Zero, the War Inside and Out podcast. This is where police, fireys, ambulance officers, doctors and nurses have the opportunity to share their experiences of what it's like on the front line. If you are battling post-traumatic stress disorder, please watch or listen to this on Spotify and YouTube with a support person. If you are in immediate danger, please contact Lifeline 13 11 14. I hope you get some value and some educational strategies on how to deal with PTSD and I hope you uh, get a greater understanding of what emergency services go through on a day-to-day basis. If you'd like to reach out to me to share your experience, my email is craiggibson75 at outlook.com and my Instagram handle is craig underscore gibson75. Thanks very much for listening and watching. As I said, it's available on YouTube and Spotify and please reach out to us if you need any help whatsoever. Thanks very much, guys. So welcome everyone to the Triple Zero, the War Inside and Out podcast. Uh, This is a podcast where we get to share real life experiences of people on the front line uh, in emergency services and mental health. So today I have a a special guest with me, um, Deb, and uh, Deb's a a mental health nurse and we're going to go into a little bit about uh, her role and her experiences in, in in that field. So Deb, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so could you just give us a little bit about uh, what your role is and how you got into that role? Okay. So at the moment, I'm currently a nurse in an inpatient unit. Um, mm-hmm. I started off my career just general nursing, but when I was studying, um, obviously, did some lessons, which wasn't a lot of knowledge that they give you in regards to mental health. Um, mm-hmm. But it, something about it intrigued me, the, the things that people could be subjected to and more so people from the same situation and one would have, it would have a different effect on everyone involved. Um, I think from, I love that counselling and empathetic sort of direction that mental health takes rather than yeah. ward nursing. So that's yeah. what sort of got me down that path. I think a lot of people get into nursing for that reason. They want to help and they have that deeper, want to connect with people and have that empathetic side. Yeah, most definitely. We like to try and fix things. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) can be quite taxing on your own mental health. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely about finding a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask how much training you actually had in mental health during that qualification period of becoming a nurse? Uh, So not much. So like any other job, you know, you see positions advertised and they go with experience, with experience, with experience. And it's the old catch 22. You can't get experience unless you're working in it and to get working in experience. So I actually started off doing a lot of mental health specials in EDs. So Mm -hmm. I was, I guess, exposed to people that had come in that were acutely unwell. Um, A lot of the time they'd been brought in, by police and they were also under the effects of drug and alcohol during that time as well. So it was a great way to get, I guess, a really insightful look at how unwell people could get and just to get that, um, I guess, I guess you got experience in dealing with everything in the deep end and that's tend to be how I do things, jump in the deep end and then yeah. sort of out. Yeah. 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 In, in the emergency department, you would have seen people at 
that's a breaking point and rock bottom and, you know, that, that flash point of how bad they were? Yeah, definitely. You see a lot of people that were obviously had um, made an attempt on their lives or had the potential to do that. Um, a lot of self-harm and a lot of um, <clears throat> people with really strong psychotic symptoms that had either gone off medications in the community mm. or it was a drug-induced psychosis. So it was their first or an early presentation for them. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the time, it was, yeah, it's, you never knew what you were walking into, but you knew that it was always going to be an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. In relation to, obviously I want to get to what it's like in a facility and where you are at the moment, but uh, with emergency, um, are you just treating their condition or just their injuries or their effects of drugs and alcohol at that time? And what's, where do they go from there once you've you know, their life's no longer in danger or you fix them, where do they go from there? Yeah, well, I, I guess there's the the dream outcome and then there's the reality of the outcome. So yeah. a lot Can of I have both? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it, it might be my dream. So a lot of the time when people come in and they're acutely unwell, you're just doing that crisis containment. So that first 24 to 72 hours where they might go into an inpatient setting, just... Mm-hmm. I guess circuit break on that risk and reduce that risk Um, and then it's a matter of re-engaging them with their community supports, family supports, GPs, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever services that they may have engaged with previously. I guess in a dream world um, we would be focusing on recovery and I think that's where my job can be so hard and challenging is that it would be ideal to have a support network so that anyone that came in that was acutely unwell could stay for a period of time so that we could make sure that we did have enough resources there in the community to support them so that when they go back, hopefully we maintain their mood and their safety or it improves. Mm. Do you feel there's adequate services in emergency departments for mental health? I think that we're getting a lot better at engaging Mm -hmm. I guess, services when they are um, acutely unwell. And if we look at the programs that have been put into hospitals um, to help and assist mental health patients and also the emergency department staff and emergency services that drop them off. So I think we're becoming more aware. I think it's um, like anything needs a lot more resources in that area and a lot more focus. So thankfully, due to the Royal Commissions that have been taking place, that Mm. we may get those supports. Yeah. And... um, we can do a lot, like a lot more earlier intervention would be great. Yeah. Do you remember a, a, a job or an incident that when you first became a nurse, you're f- that really shocked you in relation to mental health? Uh, yeah, I do. So it was walking into an ED to do a, an agency shift because um, you always get the good patients with those. <laughs> um, and I, I walked up to the, um, the ward clerk at the front and I could hear this banging and I just went, oh, I'm here to do a special and I do believe that's my patient. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew that that was the short straw that I would have drawn. Yep. Um, yeah, so then I go in and I'm presented with a, a patient that's like <clears throat> mechanically restrained to a bed um, that I had very little handover about 
their background. Um, all I knew that for the next 12 hours I needed to stay with that patient and I needed to maintain their safety and the safety of everyone else around them. So there was police presence and then they left and then we had security presence for a short period of time and then it's just I just pulling on your bag of tricks to try and do whatever it is you can to maintain a therapeutic environment during that time. Yeah. You would obviously have people that come in that have committed or, or are you aware of people that come in and have committed acts of violence outside and, and how do you maintain your professionalism during that time when you've, you've known what's gone on prior to or why they're in hospital? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> if, you, if you're a mental health nurse, I think one of the things that you learn really on is that you don't judge anyone yeah. Mental health doesn't judge anyone. It shows no prejudice. You know, you can be rich, you can be poor, you can be educated or non-educated. Um, mm. It really has no prejudice in who it affects. So yep. I, I always go in with I treat the patient with how they treat me on the day and I like to treat them with dignity and have positivity about me. I think that there's been a few indications through the years where I've just gone, oh, Maybe it's time to get out because your, your empathy is a little bit low. Yes. Um, yeah, but that's, you know, that's maintaining your professionalism and looking after yourself as well as looking after your patients. Yeah, I will get to that a little bit later. I want to ask you what you do for your mental health. And, you know, I know as a police officer in when I was in, it was what was happening in your private life and at home. And if you weren't looking after yourself, you tend to go to work and be a little bit shorter with people, a little bit less caring and a little bit less willing. And so, um, yeah, I'll ask you in a little while, you know, what you do for yourself. But, um, yeah, do you find that when patients come in and they have been brought in by police and a lot of people listening to this podcast will you know, they are police officers and ambulance officers. And um, do you find that you're that circuit breaker because they've been out on the street and they've had a, an episode or they've been brought in unwillingly uh, and they're angry at the police or ambulance officers? Are you able then to use your tricks to sort of calm them down? Is that a circuit breaker? No, a lot of the time not. I think, yep. I think they're angry at the system. Yeah. And that's not just the police and emergency system, that's the mental health system, that's the system of their family. It's that lack of feeling supported or not wanting to ask for support. And mm. I think quite often or not we're put in situations where we are dealing with aggressive patients and thankfully now I'm out of adult acute and I'm working with a different cohort of patients. Yeah. Um, you still have levels of aggression and, it, and it's coming from their frustration and we have a saying on our unit and it's about finding the reasons behind things and it the reason never excuses the behaviour but it explains the behaviour and I think to have that like shift that. and look at it from that, why is this person presenting in that way? You know, what's what's happened to them? And we do trauma-informed care. Um, and everyone's had a trauma in their life. It's mm. just that some have had su substantial ones and some have had perpetual ones that are ongoing. So mm. it's, I guess it's seeing the person's story and seeing the individual and, yeah, as I say, not, not accepting or excusing their behaviour, but 
really sort of validating, well, yeah, that's a pretty messed up situation. And I could see yeah. that they're so emotional about that and so distraught. Yeah, yeah. I think we do get caught up in, in and I'd, I guess a lot of government departments and large organisations, we tend to treat symptoms and not the root cause. Yeah, I guess that goes back to the time that we have available and the funding yeah. that we have available and the resources that we can pour into everything. Yeah, It'd be exactly. nice if we didn't have a system that was just patching people up in the short term, you know, putting on a Band-Aid just for it to fall off three or four days down the track. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people listening can relate to that. We seem to, you know, whether it's police, fireys, ambos, um, you know, mental health nurses, nurses, doctors, we're all just treating a symptom with a Band-Aid or, you know, as best we can and then it's just the next, next. Yeah, and, and, and <clears> yeah. Yeah, well, that's why, I mean, mental health now and focusing on recovery, it does, it shifts even from a staffing perspective, your mindset on a patient. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how bad the shift was, we always look for a positive. So in our notes, we actually do a part that's called positive words. And some days it's really hard after you've spent eight hours with someone to find a positive in that. Mm. But just the fact that they could... I don't know, verbalise in a way that they weren't happy with being there, that can be a positive. At least they're still advocating for themselves and they're well enough to have some insight that they don't want to be there. Yeah, absolutely. Can you share some a couple of experiences that, you know, the general public would not be aware of what you go through or um, are there some patients that stand out from your past that... Yeah, I think there's there's a few that... <clears throat> come to mind that have given yeah. me a little bit of clarity about about my role whether it's the importance from emotionally supporting someone or I guess also from the other perspective the importance of when you start to reflect is is this is this job still right for me so yeah. I was actually looking after a patient in an adult unit in an adult facility and I was working one-on-one -on -one with this person doing constant visuals and another patient who we knew in the evenings became really agitated and quite aggressive, was um, walking up to the phone, having no success at trying to um, contact whoever she was trying to contact and walked away. And I just sort of said hi to her and she said hi back. And she said, how are you? And in my head, the first thing I thought was, oh, yeah, I am tired. And, yeah, and she slammed the phone down and she walked away and she came back and she goes, I'm tired too. She said, tired of having a mental illness. And that's when I thought, oh, I can't say that word. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You feel free to say whatever. I thought, what the fuck am I doing? You know, yeah. this is my choice to come to work. This yeah. is my choice to be here. It's my choice to look after people that are acutely unwell. She doesn't have a choice in this. You know, this mm. illness has chosen her. And yeah. admittedly, there are things that she's done along the way that have contributed to her mental health. But, yeah, it was it was really humbling. And that's the one that I hold on to with those days and you drag yourself out of bed and you really don't want to be going. It's still my choice. I have a choice in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, there was a, you know, a person that, that's close to myself. They, you know, they had had a few issues leading into Christmas and the support services and uh, around uh, their life at that time shut down for two weeks over Christmas. And 
it was kind of like, well, all those services, they take a break, but you know, they said to me, my mental health never takes a break. And, yeah. I'd, and that, that resonated with me a lot. And so what, what you just mentioned then, yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's no break in, in a person's mental health. No, definitely not. No. And, but I like to think of when we talk about mental health, it's, it's all about recovery and it's all about relapse. But, you know, people can live a long, fruitful life with a mental illness. And that's what I guess I really want to get out there for people that may be having mental health issues of their own. Like it, it's, it's not the end of the road. You can mm. have a complete life. You can have a successful, fulfilling life with a mental illness if you can learn to be insightful about it and you can learn to reach out and get help and get supports. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I wanted to ask you if you had some advice for someone who right now is really struggling and they're feeling alone and they don't know where to turn to. Um, do you have some advice for them? I think it's all about having a good sounding board out there. So if you've got a good friend that you can just be really open and honest with and just let it come, come out, even the ugly stuff, yeah, mm. <clears throat> I think that's really important. It's about, I guess, GPs are a really good start. But I also understand that when you come from different perspectives, like as a mental health nurse, it's really hard to say, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling because we should have all the tools. We should have all the knowledge. This is our bread and butter. This yeah. is what we're doing for everyone else. So why can't we get it right for ourselves at that point in time? So there's yes. a lot of stigma around that. I understand, you know, having a lot of friends that are in defence and emergency services as well. It's really hard when you see, I guess, the negative aspects of coming clean and being open and honest about having struggles and how that impacts on your life and your career and your choices. Yeah. But your life's a long road and it's about having a quality of life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I speak to a lot of 20 and 30 year olds that, um, you know, go through a lot of tough times and have some challenges and, and even myself, what, you know, some of the things I've been through, but what really helped me is to understand that, you know, I'm 45. I, I potentially have another 50 years of life. Like it's not, it's half time. And so, yeah. you know, these guys, you know, in their twenties and thirties could live another two lifetimes over again. And, you know, life is a, a big journey. It's not just focusing on that six months or two year time period. It's, you know, we can be here for a long time. Yeah, we can be. And I think the bad days can seem really bad, but there's been lots of good days as well. Yeah. So we need focus on that yeah i'll ask you now if you don't mind sharing how do you look after your mental health and what you're exposed to on a daily basis how do you keep yourself um being okay and able to function uh well i guess like everyone else some days i'm better at it than others some days i can just put it down to that was a really shit day and you know, having a bit of an inappropriate laugh with your work colleagues <laughs> can get you through or, you know, driving down the freeway with the windows down and the music blaring and singing at the top of my voice also used to be a good circuit breaker. <laughs> yeah. There's times when your little bag of tricks doesn't work anymore 
and there's times when you go home and you have those intrusive thoughts because, you know, work's still on your mind or you're snappy about things with those that you care about and you're just plain irritable. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm fortunate that we have a really open discussion in our house, you know, like uh, especially in regards to mental health and how you're coping and I'm Mm. the first one that will say to people, uh, I just need a bit of me time. So sometimes it's just closing off from everyone and processing what's been going on and what's been happening. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I used to eat my emotions, but that wasn't particularly brilliant. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, now now I go to gym and I and I work through those emotions. But for me, like gross motor activity, lifting heavy things, that's a bit of a circuit breaker in my mind, and that helps to de-stress me and actually gives me more energy. So if I I went home and just you know ate crap and had a few drinks on the couch, yeah worse than what I do. For it would compound the problem, that's for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And, <clears throat> you know, it's like anything, you pick your crowd, you know that there's people that you can talk to about it. Yep. And, um, yeah, and look, I've got a couple of friends that are truly amazing in regards to being good sounding boards. Um, yeah, yeah. There's been times when I've used the EAP, so the Employee Assistance Program. And, yep. and in all honesty, that's been a little bit hit and miss. You get on there and you know, they'll they'll have a chat to you and it'll be all superficial and then they'll be preaching on about self-care and you just go, oh, fuck, you know, I, I know all this bullshit, you know. Yep. <laughs> just, yep. I think someone just needs to acknowledge that what you've gone through or what you've seen, yeah, it's it's not okay or it's, it's a situation that is really difficult to deal with. So, mm. you know, when... We see aggressive incidents on our unit. We hear people's traumas. Um, we see people's traumas. And then you've got that vicarious trauma where, you you know, you hear these stories and they're so horrific and you just, you take on board that. But mm. I think there comes a time, and this is what I tell all the new grads, that, you know, look after yourself mm. to the system you're a number and they'll replace that number. Yeah, so do what you can in an eight-hour day. Bring your best game and try your hardest. But at the end of that day, you need to let it go. You can't fix everything and you can't fix every situation. Yeah, I think that's right across the board. If, you, if you're exposed to the type of work that we are exposed to and, you know, you're experiencing trauma and, um, you know, it's a highly volatile situation at times, if you outside of work... Or, or inside your workplace, if you've got people, good quality people who you can communicate with and you have boundaries so you can actually say to someone, I do need some quiet time. Yeah. Um, and also exercise. I mean, I, I have found that the best for myself. And the importance in, in your life you just mentioned, but in facilities um, and with mental health uh, doctors and nurses, is it, do we promote exercise enough to people or is that a major part, a major tool in what is used to help people get through their, their challenges? Do you mean in regards to inpatients? Inpatients. Yeah. And, and also um, mental health nurses and doctors. I think it's like anything like you're mitigating risks all the time. So Mm. what, might be a really good therapeutic intervention for someone might then pose a risk to others on the unit. And that can be 
that can be a bit restrictive. So we end up taking a lot of the good things away because we can't always have them there. But I think um, it's about being in tune with your patients as well. We do lots of sensory interventions on our unit and um, we promote a lot of sensory items for the um, patients to use. But I, I think it's like anything, it's like tapping in with what relaxes you. I know that there's some nights yeah. when, when thunderstorms on the headphones is enough to send me off to sleep because <laughs> a relaxation <laughs> thing just isn't going to cut it on that night. So, yeah. what, type of, what type of sensory aids would you use to, to help people? Uh, so we use a lot of um, fidget items. So when people are anxious, they'll be keeping their hands busy. Um, sometimes there's a lot of oral, oral stimulation that's um, required. So people will actually like chew on things, mm-hmm. ice, that can be a bit of a circuit breaker, listening to some relaxation visual aids. So, you know, like if you've got, if you're lucky enough to work on a unit where there are like, fish tanks and the dimmer lighting, things like that quite often works as well. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Is that designed to get people out of their mind and into their senses? Well, I think we all use sensory intervention without knowledge of actually doing it, don't yeah. we? Like, you know, you'll mow the lawn or it'll rain and you'll just go outside to, to smell it because that's, what yeah. we like and that's yes. what calms us or relaxes us or takes our mind to another place of happier times. So I think um, we don't utilise that enough. So good mental health, obviously, some people do require medication. Mm-hmm. Um, some people require sensory interventions and that can be enough as a bit of a circuit breaker as well. Yeah, yeah okay. Um in, in a facility that, you know, not, not so much what, what you do now, but um, previously where you've worked, what, what would a typical day look like? Probably not a typical day. There's probably no <laughs> such thing in, in our line of work, but uh, uh, a day yeah, that yeah. you can Oh, look, it, it, depends, it depends on the unit and who you're working with. Like yep. ideally people will get up, they have their morning breakfast, they have their medications. In some facilities, there's day programs that are run, which are really great, but can just be little things about, you know, emptying your pressure cooker, or I like to call it your slurpy cup before it explodes everywhere, you know, releasing pressure valves and just giving people a space where they can talk about their emotions or just sit and think about it. Um, then it tends to be, I guess, reviews by doctors and then you've got afternoon medications and then everyone sort of gets into their evening routines. But it's, it's so dependent on the unit, you know, in that you can have five code greys going off and everything turns to shit, you know, where you thought you were going to do some really good therapeutic work and sit with someone and spend some really good one-on-one time with them you just don't have the ability to facilitate that. So that can yeah. be quite disheartening. Yeah. Can you explain what a code grey is? So a code grey would be when there's been a, an incident on the unit where someone's um, become aggressive um, and they need to have staff interventions. So mm-hmm. sometimes that can be <clears throat> a short five-minute thing and just, 
I guess, engaging with that person and de-escalating them and doing some problem solving around what might be happening. Yeah. Depending on the unit you're on, that can last up to two and a half hours, like yeah. the joys of the other week. So, yeah, it's, you, you go in with the best intentions to do some really great work with people and help them, but it depends on whatever else is happening on the unit at that time. Yeah, fair enough. Do, <laughs> have you... Or have you ever or do you at times feel unsafe in your role or have you been scared or uh, feared, feared, for, feared for your life? Yeah, so um, I've been assaulted numerous times. I've been verbally abused almost daily. I've seen my work colleagues assaulted. I've seen visitors to our unit assaulted. I've seen security assaulted and I'm not saying that everyone with a mental illness is aggressive and that's the message that I also want to get out there and that's you know paranoid schizophrenic episode doesn't make you an angry aggressive person Mm. yeah and I I think it's about being mindful of that that we've had patients smashing windows using shards of glass using broken lights to try and assault staff and yeah, it's, it's disheartening and it's scary and it rolls over into your personal life. I don't like loud noises at gym. I don't like people too close to me. I don't like people walking up behind me on my left. Um, I don't like crowds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that I don't like that are reflective of where I work. Um, I don't like my kids growing up because I'm fearful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would happen. <laughs> yeah. And they're adults, but they can see where I'm coming from and they are totally in tune with that. And mm. they're really accepting that, hey, some days I just have this baggage because of what's happened at work or because of what I've seen at work. Yeah. How do you manage when you become anxious or stressed, you know, if you are triggered, so to speak, in that way of someone coming up on your left or loud noises? Do you, are you able to catch it and stop it relatively well or um, how, how do you yeah, manage that? Um, yeah. So a lot of the time it's just about grounding and reorientating. You know, yeah. I'm here, this is yeah. where I am, this is safe, that's all it was. Yeah. Um, I guess the most unfortunate thing about triggers is you don't actually know what one is until another one pops up yeah. in your app. So yeah. um, I, 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 I always look for an, for an exit plan. I always look for a safety plan. So if I'm at the cinema, I know exactly how many seats are behind me and how many to the left and how many to the right. And that's not a nice headspace to be in, but unfortunately my career choices made me be in that space where I need to always feel I'm safe. Yeah. Or if I do feel, begin to feel unsafe, I know how I can. Yeah. I think for those that haven't been on the front line, they don't understand that we're always going into a shopping center or a movie theater or a service station or driving, driving down the road. And we're always doing a risk assessment constantly 
looking for exits, looking for danger, looking, stereotyping. It's, you know, being, we're aware of our triggers most of the time and, you know, we're constantly looking out for those. So the, the hypersensitivity that we have that, I don't think people realise how significant that is for people who work on the front line. Yeah, it's pretty exhausting. And, yeah. and I, the thing that also gets to me is your altered perception of what's okay. Like I can remember being in the kitchen and looking out and seeing these feet dangling from the tree next door and my immediate reaction was to bend down to see if I could see the noose around the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry if this is a, a question that might um, trigger an emotion, but have you been exposed to a lot of um, suicide as a mental health um, nurse? Yeah, a lot of um, suicide attempts, not all of them completed. Yeah. Um, and definitely a lot of self-harm attempts while they've been in our care and that doesn't sit particularly well because when you take on nursing, like we said earlier, it's the wanting to fix everyone and everything and you have to come up with the realisation that you're not always going to be able to do that. At some point on any day, someone may very well deteriorate in your presence, whether through something that you've done or inadvertently you haven't done and you've just got to learn to sit with that emotion on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, medication, I... Yes, there's a, a, a need for it, um, but I've, I do, I've spoken to quite a few people who seem to run into, run into challenges and problems with medication if they come off it cold turkey or come off it too quickly. Or can you share some insights into what you've seen about the dangers of that or, you know, without doing it properly? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a roller coaster. So for the first six weeks that you can be on some medications you're waiting for them to get to a therapeutic level and then you start to get that therapeutic level and the person will have a sense of wellness about them mm. and then they go oh, I'm okay I can just go off this medication and then it's like that roller coaster right to the bottom yeah. um, I think some of the medications can have other side effects that people don't particularly like and there's a variant of those but I'd also like to say that there are a lot of medications out there. You know, there's numerous ones. So if you've tried one and it's not effective, it's about having a really open and honest discussion about if, with your physician about the things that you do like about it or that you don't like about it. And a lot of the times it's playing with the levels. But medication alone doesn't fix everything. You know, you, you have to have a lifestyle change as well and you have to try and reduce those stresses in your life. And I'm all for learning some coping mechanisms as well. So like the triggers out there, it's about learning to ground yourself and orientate yourself and just remind yourself that you are safe. And mm. yeah, it's like anything, it's, it's having transparency and that's a really bloody scary thing to do to make yourself yeah, that, vulnerable to be like that. That's confronting, yeah, the vulnerability around that. And also having a, a being open and honest with family or friends, so you have that support network around you to say, hey, I am going to be reducing my medication and, you know, I'm going to need a bit of support um, and it's being open and vulnerable to them as well. 
Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And I guess not everyone's insightful as to mental health and a lot of people <clears throat> would just go, oh, if you're on the medication, stay on it. But, you know, it's, it's, your life and you need to be proactive in your treatment plans as well. So have that discussion with your healthcare professionals and yeah. just be really honest. Yeah. See, yeah. What, see what flexibility there is in the system. Yeah. Yeah. I have a few people who have also mentioned from time to time that they felt like they had failed or they felt like they, um, they never thought that they would ever end up in a mental health facility to in a, or in a program. Do you have any advice for people that are around that point where they may need a stay or they may need to enter a program about the stigma and, and that it is okay and it's... It seems to be easier when you're the outsider looking in and you're not the one in that situation. But yeah. the, the aspect that we need to take on mental health is it's no different from having diabetes and diabetes treatment. It's no different than having cancer and going through oncology treatments. It's, you know, you have an illness, it's part of what makes you up, but it shouldn't define you as a person. And we really need to get rid of that stigma as well. So I think it's about a wellness and recovery journey. And if that's where you need to go to start to get the help to move forward, then it is really important. But uh, yeah, I understand people's perspective, and I mm. and I still understand the stigma about being in a in a hospital or a facility. But um, I think if people were a lot more honest and open about their presentations and the help that is available to them, um, that I think that's of a lot more benefit. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Yeah, well said. Um, do you have you dealt with? many patients uh, with post-traumatic stress disorder? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I've got a few people in my life that have <laughs> experienced that too. Yeah. Um, How do we help them How, when, when they come in for a stay or when they are at rock bottom? How, you know, for those that I guess don't know what the treatments are and like what, how do we help them? Well, I think it's like everything. I think, you know, I'm all for patients having a say in their well-being and their mm -hmm. treatment programs as well. But I think there's a lot of things out there that we don't often reflect on being of importance to patients. Like, sorry, we do as healthcare professionals, but patients might not see it. Mm. So it's little things and I, there's lots of different therapy programs that you can go through in regards to, I guess, being a little bit more desensitised to those triggers and learning when those triggers occur that, you know, it's, it's okay and it's okay to feel scared and it's okay to have those thoughts and those visuals of previous situations coming back but we need to give you some coping mechanisms so that it doesn't impact on your life as much mm, yeah well said do you have any advice for families or wives husbands partners um that they are living with someone with ptsd do you have any advice for them on how they can um, be around them or how they can help at all 
Yeah, I think there's lots of resources out there to help families and extended families. There's lots of really great resources too if you're a carer for someone who has got a mental illness. Um, there's some great resources for children out there whose parents have a mental illness. Um, it's about sitting with hearing some really uncomfortable stuff and mm. it's that's okay because... Um, Sometimes people just need to get that out and release that pressure cooker or the lid on their slurpy cup with that information. And sometimes when it's out there, that can be therapeutic enough for someone. It's don't judge. You know, when, we're not here to cast judgment on people. And everything that happens for someone is real and unique to them. So what happens to me might be traumatic for you. For me, sorry, it might be a walk in the park for you and it has no consequence at all. So have some understanding, have some empathy, support the person, but you can't fix things for someone else. You know, they have to learn those coping mechanisms to be, to be self-driven on that, to be accountable and to be insightful. And we can all work collaboratively for that to happen. Mm. Um, and it's really not going to happen on their own because sometimes people need a gentle push in the right direction as well. Yeah. So, just listen, just sit with those awkward, uncomfortable feelings. I guess I'm fortunate enough that in um, my day I'm looking out for risks and I'm assessing risks and I ask those really difficult questions as well. Mm. And um, I think I'd much rather ask someone if they're feeling suicidal and if they have a plan and what is that plan than to not ask it. And sometimes by opening up that discussion and having that conversation with them, that's enough for them to go, oh, you know what, someone might actually feel that I do feel that low and I feel that bad. Yeah. Mm. When you say a plan, do you mean when they get to a point where they feel suicidal, what's their plan that they put in place to come out of that? Yeah, and there's some really great mental health first aid course, courses around. Mm. Um, lots of people facilitate those now. And it's about if you perhaps are living with someone or you have got a friend that has suicidal tendencies, that it gives you some skills and some language to learn to help support them, not just when they're unwell, but when they're well as well as well when they're traveling okay mm. and then it gives you strategies and ways to support them and help them when they are you know at that low spot yeah yeah well said what i'll do is i'll put up some links to the, some of these resources um where right. families can get uh, uh assistance and wh where you know people who are feeling um alone and where they can also get some help as well so i'll, I'll put up some links on that um do you have any advice for people in nursing at the moment that might studying nursing or they're, they're in nursing and they want to, they're feeling like they want to become a mental health nurse? Is there extra training and, and what advice would you have for them? Yeah, there's some um, post-grad courses that you can do. And if you, even if you're not in nursing and you're looking at going down that mental health path, whether it's as a um, professional or a peer support worker, there's some really good um, courses out there for that. Um, I still, every day, no matter how shit the day is, it's an absolute privilege to go in and be in a position where I can care for people when they're so vulnerable. And for mm. me, if that's what you if that's what you want to do and that's what 
you think your skill set is, then I'd, yeah, go for it. But along the way, just be really honest with yourself about where you're at in life because it does bring up lots of emotions and there's lots of stories out there that in particular the general public wouldn't even consider happens on a on a daily basis so um, find a good team that you work with yet yeah, find a supportive team and it's okay to go in and at the end of a shift go that was really messed up I don't know if I want to come back here tomorrow going to take a mental health day and it's okay to go to managers and say I'm burnt out yeah mm. put me on nights for a while put me on some leave but I've had enough and I think from where I come from, if managers can't support you and the system can't support you, then it's really about being proactive in making changes in the system. Yeah. I understand that's difficult in certain professions and in certain professions, um, unfortunately not in mine, that can be career-ending for some people. I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. But, um, your career doesn't define you, neither does a mental illness. It's about who you are the legacy that you leave when you're no longer here and your quality of life in that time frame. Yeah. How do you, <laughs> how do you find shift work? <laughs> yeah, it's shit, hey. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> when am I working next? Yeah. When, when do I get to see my family? Oh, in three days. In three yeah. days, everyone. I'll be home for dinner unless nothing goes wrong and I've got to work a double shift or I get called in on my days off. Yeah. 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 There are perks. Going to the movies when there's no one else around is quite liberating. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah don't be afraid. Shopping done in the middle of the ra- Yeah. <laughs> Going to the grocery store. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of people yeah. wouldn't wouldn't uh, even realise that mental health nurses do twenty four seven rosters. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and quite often there's a lot of shortfalls in the staffing, so not uncommon to pick up extra days or be there for a double shift because at some point you go, I don't want to let the team down Yeah, and you stay there. So that's, that's a bit of a trap to fall into. It's, it's okay to stay back and it's okay to do double shifts and pick up extra shifts, but not if it's at the price of your own mental health. Put yeah. you first. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a pretty hard job to do if you're – if you're not a hundred percent there. Yeah. And like you said, if the, if the system uh, is not providing that for you and, and, uh, and your workplace or your team having the strategies for yourself to, you know, take care of your own mental health and um, really understanding what works for you, whether that's exercise or whether that is sitting in a cafe on your own and just enjoying the life pass you by or whether it's, painting or whether it's um, riding a bike, whatever it is, you've got to find that outlet for you, that hobby that is important to you, that helps you just take your mind off things. Yeah, definitely. Something that re-energizes you and just gives mm. you mind some downtime from everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, from where you started to now, have you seen huge changes in mental health and are you optimistic of the future? Yeah, look, I've seen I've seen lots of changes, and I think things like the Royal Commission, um, mental health first aid courses, you know, all the organisations beyond blue, even things like the push up challenge that I make my friends do every year. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on a team, by the way? If you want to join a team, <laughs> I'll join it with you. Yay! 
Yeah. <laughs> um, it's all about just putting it out there and it, it's okay. There, yeah, there's still stigma, but there's still stigma with other things in life as well, you know, yeah. and just need to have a level of acceptance for people. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's about, yeah, having a sense of humanity for people, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the thing that people don't understand. You know, like I, um, I'll see a homeless person and I see that as an opportunity to engage and, you know, like, how do you know? How do you know that your conversation or your show of care isn't the turning point? Mm. And I think that's the thing, you know. Um, but I also understand for people that don't come from a mental health background, it can be a pretty bloody scary thing where someone comes to you and they say, I've had enough. Just mm. don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be there. And they have that level of helplessness and hopelessness. It's mm. like, well, what do you say? How do I do that? And yeah. I think... Um, I'm a great mental health worker at work, but I still need to bloody practice it at home. Like when Mm. it's me and my emotions and my family, I can feel myself pulling my mental health hat onto my head really tight and channeling my professionalism. (laughs) Because once your own emotions are in it, it's 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 really hard to have clarity. So it is, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Do you think you'll continue to do it into the future? For the, for the for now anyway. No, I always bloody say I'm all had enough. <laughs> I'm over this, yeah. <laughs> and and I keep getting drawn back. And then there's a uh, I'm lucky that I work. Um, I actually work with kids at the moment, mm-hmm. yeah. and I work with kids that have had pretty traumatic lives. Um, whether that's through family violence or whether it's through a parent that's had a mental illness that maybe hasn't been able to be as present as what they could have been or whether that's through bullying at school or they've got a diagnosis of some other form of mental illness. Um, I get to do some really great therapeutic work and I get to know them, let them know that adults can be safe, that not every experience with an adult is a negative experience or an unsafe experience. I get to help them re-engage in the school system. I get to help to set up resources in the community that will help them to move forward. I guess um, for me on my unit, um, we see people. We might see people from 72 hours up to six weeks um, and you don't often get a lot of follow-up on them in the future and not unless they're linked in with your sort of CAMS network. Um, so that can be a little bit difficult that yeah, you always wonder yeah. in the back of your head what's happened to them and were they able to make changes? Was the family able to make changes as everyone moved forward? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'd love to say, yeah, I'm going to retire tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not going to do this mental health gig anymore, but I'm just so bloody passionate about it. I just yeah. think that. We, we shouldn't have people out there that feel like they need to kill themselves. We should be supporting them and go, yeah, it's a really fucking messed up situation and yeah. it's really not not okay and it's really not fair mm. that we can work together at this. We can work through this and we can get to the other side of it. Absolutely. I'm not allowed to swear at work, just so you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot at home. <laughs> that, that's fine. I think we all do. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> in relation to that, you mentioned it was difficult not knowing what's happened to the kids. How do you manage that? 
So for those that are, that are mental health nurses, you know, what advice do you give to them and how to manage that of letting go of a patient? Yeah, that's, um, it can be a really difficult thing to do, um, particularly if you're sending people back to a less than ideal situation. Mm. I think it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, make sure that you're on your best game and for that eight hours you do what's in the best interests of your patient and you advocate for that person, you know. Mm. Like just because someone has a mental illness doesn't mean to say that they don't have a right to have a say in their treatment and I'm I'm all for that. Whether I agree with the choices that they're making or I don't agree, I will help them advocate. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's a really important part of the role. Yeah, yeah. And so do you just feel you give them your best while they are in your care and then you just try and let that go afterwards when you're not, when they've gone? Yeah. 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 And you try and focus on some positives. So maybe some shifts in presentation that you've seen or some engagement in the community that you know that might be happening. Um, Yeah. So try and and focus on the positives. Yeah. Do you ever have people that come back and when they are and say, hey, thanks? Yeah, so we have um, one family that every year they um, bake us some goods around Christmas time and drop them off. So we get a bit of a, a feedback, and we all know that nurses love baked food and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. Yeah, but yeah, we get a bit of feedback about how they're travelling, how their families changed and become more unified, yeah. and that's good. But you know, it's like everything for the. For the one good positive story, there can be a hundred horrible negative ones out there where things didn't didn't go so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, you know. Thank you for your your insights um, and your words of wisdom and and your advice. I, I know that this will actually help a lot of people. The one people that are reaching out to me. Um, I was so keen to talk to you because a lot of the feedback that I get now is around mental health um, and how we can be better at that, how we can help others that are going through it. So I really appreciate your time and, uh, and your insights. No problems at all. Yeah, so- oh, sorry, I was going to say it's a really great opportunity and the reason that I was, I guess, so keen to do it is it's just, it's really important just to sit with someone and have that conversation yeah. and just let them know that it may not feel okay in that time in that space, but it has the the ability to be okay. And you know what? It's, it's okay to put your hand up and go, I'm struggling. This is, yep. this is shitful, had enough, can't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm really trying to bring awareness of the importance of being vulnerable and open and honest and raw and it's okay to share your emotions. We all need to be doing more of that. We all need to be kinder to ourselves and to each other. And like you just said, just, just sit and listen and you might not know what to say, but I know, you know, for myself, I just needed a pair of ears. I just needed someone to just listen to me. And so, you know, you know, that's everything that you've said today has just been fantastic and I know it'll help a lot of people. So thank you. No, you're welcome. I think the scariest part is just putting it out there. It is. Definitely. Pick your crowd. Pick a supportive crowd. Um, Well, thank you. Keep up the the awesome work that you do. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. No, thanks. 
Thanks to you. Thanks for getting those messages out there. It's brilliant. Pleasure. Just hang on for a second, okay? No problem. Uh,